we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for July 5th, 2009. And uh, we're going to continue. This is actually part 8, I believe, that we're going to be continuing. I, I know I left off the last study saying we're going to our second part, but that's the second part for today. But part 8 overall uh, in the Hebrew Roots Movement study. And uh, we're going to continue where we left off with, with the... Uh, that quote from David Biven regarding the parties and the Kabbalah. Well, a book published in 1984 by David uh, Biven and Roy Blizzard has formed the basis of much of the Hebrew Roots doctrine. So, uh, Nonetta just asked me, where did this stuff start? I mean, a lot of people aren't even aware that this is even a problem or, or it hasn't infiltrated their church and therefore, you know, you know, you, you're not aware of it. It's like I said, it's really infiltrated the Pentecostal, the charismatic movements more than any other sect. But it's 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 infiltrating pretty much everything at this point. So a book published in 1984 by David Biven and Roy Blizzard has formed the basis of much of the Hebrew roots doctrine. So this started a lot a lot of this started back then. But again, it takes time for Satan to get that momentum rolling. It just doesn't happen overnight. You know, it has to be. That leaven, it takes a while for that leaven to start permeating. Now, this book, uh, the following are experts from the understanding of the difficult words of Jesus, rep, uh, represent the JSSR viewpoint on the lack of originality of the Greek New Testament. Remember, David Biven is the director of JSSR, which is the Jerusalem School of Synoptic Research. Boy, doesn't that sound impressive. Well, this book that they wrote back in 1984, Understanding the Difficult Words of Jesus, there's a, this is a quote from that book. Our reasons for writing this book are not only to show that the original gospel was communicated in Hebrew language, but to show that the entire New Testament can only be stood, understood from a Hebrew perspective. Then he goes on to say, It cannot be overemphasized that the key to understanding of the New Testament is a fluent knowledge of Hebrew and the intimate acquaintance of Jewish history, culture, and rabbinic literature. Now, again, they're, what they're saying is totally contrary to the Word of God, because the Word of God, you know, teaches that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things to be brought into remembrance, which I've taught you, which Jesus said that. And that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Lord, who giveth liberally and upbraideth not. So there's all these, these things in the, in the Bible which says that, you know, you ask the Lord Jesus Christ. You go you go to Him to get these things. And as a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit living inside you will teach you these things, okay? And yes, these are things that you should, you should pray about as well. Um, but, as you can see, this Hebrew Roots movement is trying to get you away from any of that and focusing on these oral traditions, um, going, you have to have this intimate acquaintance with Jewish history, culture. So in other words, you just can't pick up a Bible anymore and, and expect to understand it or even to get saved because unless you have an intricate and fluent knowledge of Hebrew and an intimate acquaintance with Jewish history, culture, and rabbinic literature, it sounds like you're pretty much just going to get, you know, go to hell to me. That's what they're implying here. So Jesus Christ is identified by this Jerusalem School of Synoptic Research as like other Jewish sages of that time. 
That's what they were. That's a quote out of the book. He was just like any of the other Jewish sages of that time. Now, to me, this sounds like the divinity of Jesus Christ is absolutely questioned and even denied. He's just like any other sage. Isn't that what all of these other religions, isn't that what the Muslims really teach? Oh, he was a good man, the Quran. That's what they, they'll even say that about Jesus. Most of these other religions don't really put Jesus down unless, unless it's like overt Satanism. Now, granted, the Babylonian Talmud sure does, but this is what they're saying. So, here we, you know, we got blasphemy right off the bat. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians 2.5 that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. This is that verse. Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So, are you lacking wisdom? Ask God. The Father through Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, I mean, the, the greatest wisdom we could lack is the wisdom in the Scriptures. So, this is something that we all need to be doing. I need to do this more often. So, there, there's your answer. Not, not all this other garbage. It's, it's right there. It's easy enough to find the true wisdom of Scriptures. Going further, another author... Nesta Webster quotes the Talmud translator Michael Rodkinson's view of the importance of the Talmud in Jewish life. The modern Jew is the product of the Talmud. So that's what um, this Nesta Webster quotes the Talmud translator as saying. The modern Jew is the product of the Talmud. Well, the modern Jew in the Jew in the religion of Judaism is the product of the Talmud because the Talmud is as I've quoted as they've quoted their version of the Torah. It's 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 the highest thing that they can go to. It's their highest holy book. And it's also the most blasphemous toward Jesus Christ, particularly the Babylonian version. So the modern Jew is just the product of the Talmud end of quote. She goes on to mention the lesser importance of Scripture given by the Talmud. This is another quote from this Nesta Webster. The Talmud itself accords the Bible only in a secondary place. Whoa! They're openly admitting it. Yes, but we've given you a lot of other quotes to confirm that. So what I like about this report, it's not quoting from some, uh, let's say, Christian source that you could say has a bias. This is quoting from the people that are integral in the Hebrew Roots Movement. The Talmud itself accords to the Bible only a secondary place. Thus, the Talmud treaties, um, the Talmudic treaties, Sophurim says, quote, the Bible is like water. The, Mish- the Mishnah is like wine. And the Gemara is like spiced wine. Meaning, good, better, best. In other words, the Bible's good. The Mishnah is like wine. It's better. The Bible's like water. The Mishnah's like wine. So it's better. And the Gemara, which is, these are all oral traditions here. The Gemara is like spiced wine. So it's best. One can verify these statements in the Talmudic treatise on Soferim in the tract 
Sophurim uh, 15, 7, 13b, this teaching regarding the inferior status of the Bible is echoed in the tract Bibaha Metiza 33a, which says, quote, those who devote themselves to reading the Bible exercise a certain virtue, but not very much. <laughs> this is unbelievable. And then it goes on to say, those who study the Mishnah exercise virtue, virtue for which they will receive a reward. According to who? That's what I say. Satan? They're going to receive a reward from who? Satan in hell? And then whoever, however, those who take themselves the study of the Gemara exercise the highest virtue. End of quote. If this isn't a, is if this isn't a frontal assault on the word of God, I don't know what is. So those who devote themselves to reading the Bible exercise a certain virtue, but not very much. Now, again, who who could possibly be behind this? Is it is it Satan, you think? Why would God say something like this? Why would God is not the author of confusion? A, Satan, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, as, as Jesus taught. This is, this is from Satan. Okay. The author, Reverend I.B. Pranatus, reiterates the high esteem which, which the Talmud and its writers are held, either placing it on a level with Scripture or surpassing it. Um, in the book, Mezbich, we find the following opinion. Quote, There is nothing superior to the Holy Talmud. I mean, again, I've read you the quotes that the Talmud speaks of Jesus Christ. I don't even want to ever read them again. Uh, we might have to rehash some of those later in this teaching, but they refer to it as the Holy Talmud, and there's nothing superior to it. Just understand, you get into the Hebrew roots, this is what you're in for eventually. Well, I'm just doing it because I'm just celebrating the feasts. And I just want to use the true name of Jesus Christ. And I just want to go back to my Hebrew beginnings. Okay, just understand what you're getting into. Uh, this quote ends by saying, Contemporary defenders of the Talmud speak of it almost in the same way, that there's nothing superior to it, including the Bible or the Talmud. Or nothing. But this is, the, this is what happens in all cults. I mean, you, you, if you're into Mormonism, and you have a King James Bible, I guarantee you, the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price in and or any other prophetic interpretation is going to take precedence over the Bible that you possess. It's the same with the Jehovah Witnesses. It's the same with the Seventh-day Adventists or any other pseudo-Christian cult out there. It's no different. The following is a well-known and highly praised opinion of, in the writings of the rabbis. And they say, quote, My son, give heed to the words of the scribes rather than the words of the law meaning the Torah, is what they're in reference to here. So the words of the scribes, hmm, wow. 
The reason for this is found in the tract Sanhedrin X 3F88B, which says, quote, He who transgresses the words of the scribes sins more gravely than the transgressors of the words of the law. So, now we've taken the words of men, the words of these corrupt, satanic scribes, and you've equated he who transgresses those words as sinning more gravely than the transgressors of the words of the law, which God gave. If that's not rank blasphemy, I don't know what is. Now let's see what the Bible says about the words of the scribes. Let's let's because this verse immediately popped into my head. I didn't know. I, I forgot where it was at. I did a little keyword search. It's Jeremiah eight. I say we need to see what God thinks about the words of the scribes, and if that runs counter to this verse that I just quoted. Jeremiah eight. I'm going to start at verse 5. Okay, so this is a Jeremiah 8, verse 5. Why then is the people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? So the, the, the Bible's asking this question. Why are the people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual... That some people say, well, backsliding is not mentioned. In the, yes, it is mentioned in the, back, in the Bible. It's mentioned right here. Perpetual backsliding. They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. Now, we're going to get the answer in a second here, but that's what the Bible poses the question. Verse 6, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone is turned to his course as a horse rusheth into battle. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Just like the book of Judges. Which isn't a book you want to really refer back to if you want to learn about right Christian living. You know? Every man did which was right in his own eyes. So much so that God had to use women in those days, like Deborah, in order to actually get jobs done. Because the men were so sorry, they weren't getting it done. It's not exactly the ideal place to, you know, say that women need to be, you know, in leaders of men and in preachers and pastors when the Bible clearly contradicts that in the New Testament. I'm not, this isn't a knock against women. I'm just saying a lot of people use judges in order to justify that, particularly Pentecostals, Pentecostal women. And I've done a whole teaching on the biblical role of women um, in the marriage and in the church. So, and I also get the biblical role of husbands in that teaching as well. But anyway, everyone turned to his own course, okay, which is an earmark of, of apostasy. Then verse 7, Yea, the stork in heaven knoweth her appointed times. Now what that's in reference to is when the stork delivers the babies. No, just kidding. Teasing, teasing. Um, the stork in heaven knoweth her appointed times. And the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. In other words, the animals are wiser than the humans in this regard. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. What is this, what is this a modern day implication? How can we apply this to modern day? Well, the stork in heaven knoweth, knoweth her appointed times, and the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. Then it goes on to say, but... 
my people know not the judgment of the Lord. Now, is judgment, is the judgment of God being preached by Smiley Joel Osteen this morning? Or Benny Hinn? Or Creflo Give Me a Dollar? I'm sorry, Creflo Dollar. Is, is that being preached in the churches across, in the 501c3 corporate institutions? Sometimes. Sometimes. But not very much. It's not popular. They can't make money that way. Remember, they're hirelings, these, particularly the ones on the, the televangelists. They're hirelings that have no true love for the sheep. They're put there by Satan to deceive you. I get so nauseated watching, even trying to watch any televangelists. It's so always about the money. It, 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 that Peter Popoff guy, he's back on TV he, he is the most wretched, devil, evil, wicked, blasphemous hireling. I, I can't even hardly stand to even look at him. He's so wicked and evil. He, it is so obvious that he's so wicked and evil, it is all over. He couldn't hide it if he tried. He is so of his father, the devil, and yet people follow him still, even after he's been caught in all these lies and all these scams to build these people out of money. These blind, if the blind follow the blind, they'll both fall into a ditch. It is so disgusting what goes on in modern day televangelism circles on TV. These people don't understand the judgment of the Lord. They think it's going to be all, they're going to be just raptured out of here, nothing's going to happen to them. We're not going to have to go through anything. Or we're going to make things so good we're going to usher and bring in the kingdom like the dominionists believe. And I'm not going to turn this into a rapture pre-post mid-trib debate. I'm just saying. They don't think they're going to suffer. They don't know anything about the judgment of God. It's like the Laodicean church of Revelation 3 that is blind, wretched, weak, and naked and think they think they're in need of nothing. But yet they're all these terrible things. But yet they're, they're proud about it. They think they're in need of nothing. They know not the judgment of the Lord. They don't know the fear of God. Nor are they ever taught it. Nor would they ever want to hear about it. The animals are wiser than they are. These animals. So, this is more fruit more corrupt, rotten fruit when you don't know the judgment of the Lord, when you are in a perpetual backsliding. Verse 8. How do you say we are wise? And the law of the Lord is with us. That's what a lot of the people in the Hebrew roots think. We're wise, and the law of the Lord is with us. It's not with any of you other little peons out there. We're better. We use the real name of God. We wear our prayer shawls and blow our shofars and yarmulkes and the whole nine yards and celebrate our Seder dinners and all of the feasts and we're strict Sabbatarians as well we're better we're holier than thou approach not thou us as the Bible talks about in Isaiah 66 let's just go to Isaiah 66 real quick and I'm going to come back to this because it reminds me of this Isaiah 66 because this relates a lot to what we're talking about. Isaiah 
And again, I, I just quoted this verse, but I'll say it again. For all these things hath mine hand made, and all these things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. A poor and contrite spirit doesn't mean he's poor, like he doesn't have any money. But it's of a contrite. It's it's a meek. It's a it's a that's the type of spirit he looks. And trembleth at my word, fear of the Lord. And then it goes on in verse three. It says, "Yea, they have chosen their own ways." This is regarding the, these these. Um, I guess you'd say a backslider or an idolater. They have chosen their own ways. Their soul delighteth in their abominations. And then verse four: I will also bring their delusions and will bring their fears upon them, because. When I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil before mine eyes, and chose that which I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you and cast you out, before my name's sake, said the Lord, said, let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. Okay, I got. I was ahead by one chapter there. Go back to Isaiah sixty-five. These people that, um, well, verse three: a people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, that sacrifice in the gardens and burneth incense upon the altars of brick. Okay, um, which say, "Stand by thyself; come not near to me, for I am holier than thou." This is how. A lot of these religions act toward other people, okay, toward other people that don't embrace what they're embracing. These are a smoke in my nose and a fire that burneth all day. So again, this is what a lot of what we're dealing with here. These people, they come out in their long flowing robes and they've got their beards and the rabbis and all the stuff. I am holier than thou. It's not how the Lord Jesus Christ sees it. So. Okay, let's go back to Jeremiah 8 now. Jeremiah 8, because we haven't even really got to the, the point I was trying to make here. Let's just start in verse 8. How do you say we are wise? Now, these are the people that don't know the judgment of God, that are in a perpetual backsliding. Okay, how do you say we are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain made he it. Made what? Who made it? What is he talking about? We're going to find out. The pen of the scribes is in vain. See, one way that you can interpret verses in the Bible, like, in, for instance, the last verse in Isaiah 66, where it talked about of a poor and of a contrite spirit. Well, a lot of times the definition is given doubly in the same line of that verse. Gail Ripplinger wrote a whole book on this. Um, I forget what it's called, but it, she wrote a whole book on a way that the Bible has its own little built-in dictionary. It doesn't work every single time, because sometimes a word is not given in a double manner. But um, when you look, okay, what is, what is we know what contrite means, uh, meek, before the Lord, but when it says poor, in that regard, poor is actually equivalent to the word contrite, meek, before the Lord. Okay, so... In this verse, lo, certainly, in vain made he it... Made he, somebody made something here, okay? Well, then the next part defines it for us. The pen of the scribes is in vain. 
the pen of the scribes. Didn't we just say, didn't we just read something about the scribes? Where these writings, the highly praised opinion of the, of the rabbis, where they said, my son, give, give heed to the words of the scribes, rather than the words of the law. So what they're saying is give heed to the words of the scribes, these oral traditions that have been written down, rather than, in this, in this case, the words of Allah, which I would assume they mean the uh, Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And then there's another quote they give from Sanhedrin of, of um, these oral traditions, which says, He who transgresses the words of the scribes sins more gravely than the transgressions of the words of the law. So now the words of the scribes are above the words of God. Lo, certainly in vain made he it. This is back to Jeremiah 8, verse 8. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Why? Because they followed the pen of the scribes. And this is the exact thing that's going to happen to you if you follow the pen of the scribes and all these oral traditions, which are damnable heresies. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. Why? Because when you choose to follow the, the words of the scribes, you automatically reject the words of the Lord. I mean, unless the words of the scribes totally lines up with the word of the Lord, but this isn't what we're in reference to here. And what wisdom is in, is in them? There is no wisdom in them. In other words, the Bible's very clear. What does all of this mean? Sir, lo, certainly in vain made he at the pen of the scribes is in vain. They made their own false doctrine, which is made by the scribes, which was written and transcribed by the scribes. Transcribed. They took the oral traditions and the scribes transcribed them, wrote them down, the highest of all of them being the Talmud, which is the most blasphemous, particularly the Babylonian against Jesus Christ. Huh. Boy, doesn't that doesn't that sound like exactly what's going on today? The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. That's what's going to happen to all of these supposed wise men that follow these Hebrew roots movements and these scribes and these oral traditions. They're going to be dismayed and taken low. What have they done? What are, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the rejection of the word of God. And it says right here, Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord... If that verse doesn't apply to... In fact, this ver, this series of scripture sums up this whole study that I'm doing today. And, and in previous weeks and in subsequent weeks, we're going to be doing this. They rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them as a question is posed. There is none. They have used a perverted... It's not a scripture... But they've used perverted writings just like they have today. So then let's go on to see what some more fruit of this is. Therefore will I give their wives unto others and their fields to them that shall inherit them. From every one, from the least even unto the greatest, is given to covetousness. From the prophet even unto the priest, everyone that dealeth falsely. That's the judgment of God that's, that's coming and waiting for you if you're into this stuff. I get a lot of people. Well, it doesn't matter. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ alone and His shed blood, and but I'm still I'm still into the Hebrew roots thing. Well, one of these days you're going to have to make up your mind and choose whom this day you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, as Joshua said. I'm not going to even 
immerse myself in this. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And Jesus Christ warned against the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees as that leaven. Now, I understand there's other forms of leaven, but that was the first one Jesus Christ pointed to. And it's pointed to all throughout the New Testament. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and doctrines of men and, and things and those that come and preach another gospel wanting to inspire our liberty in Christ. We're supposed to not get into this stuff. We're supposed to leave it alone. And if you don't, there's judgment, great judgment coming on you. And I just read some about that. For everyone from the least, even under the greatest, to the covetous, from the prophet, even under the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Well, I don't deal falsely. Well, if you're into this stuff, you're, evol- you're involved in great deception. And it will eventually overcome you. For whom a man has overcome, the same he has brought into bondage. You can start out and say, believe whatever you want to believe now, but if you continue down this road, where will you end up? Verse 11, For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So in other words, they're coming and they're saying, there's going to be this great peace and this wonderful, which is a lot of the theme of these people. They tickle your ears. But then verse 12 says, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall. In the time of their visitation shall they be cast down, saith the Lord. Verse 13, I will consume them, saith the Lord. There shall no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaves shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. Well, when he says I will consume them, it sounds like he's going to kill them. Well, just remember, two-thirds of the Jews are going to die during the tribulation. The Bible is very clear on that. If we go to Zechariah 13, 8 and 9, Zechariah 13, 8, 9. I've done a whole study on this where I've, I've probably done several studies where we've went to Zechariah and, and researched this. Zechariah 13, 8, 9. Um, and this is, this verse returns to the subject of Zechariah 12, 10. which Zechariah 12.10, which is when the Jews finally get their eyes opened, says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon, upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Remember, this is, the house, this is upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That's who he's going to pour this on. This, these are the modern day Jews during the tribulation. They're finally going to get their eyes open. What do you mean get their eyes open? Well, the Bible clearly says that blindness in part has happened to the Jew until Israel, until the fullness of the Gentile come in. Why did blindness happen? Because they said, crucify him, Jesus Christ, let his blood be upon us, give us Barabbas the murderer. And even Pilate said, well, what evil has this man done? Even Pilate tried to talk him out of it. And they said, take away Jesus, crucify. Now, I've done a whole study on this as well. The, the, the affliction of the Jews. Why is it? Now, this is not anti-Semitic. I'm just stating scripture. You know, I want them to all go to heaven, but I know that's not going to be the case. Because the Bible says it. 
So then if we go to verse 8, um, this verse in verse Zechariah 13.8 returns to the subject of Zechariah 12.10, which is what we just quoted, which is talking about, they shall look upon whom they have pierced and shall mourn for him, which is Jesus Christ, obviously, and refers to the sufferings of the remnant preceding the great battle of Armageddon. Now, Zechariah 14, if you go into that, is a recapitulation of the whole matter. The ordering is the gathering of the nations, um, and then, you know, into Armageddon, then the deliverance and the return of Christ to the Mount of Olives, and the physical changes of the scene. Then the setting up of the kingdom and the full earthly blessing. We're not going to get into all that, but that's just the setting here. So, verse 8 says, And it shall come to pass, this is after they've looked upon whom they've pierced, Shall come to pass, then on all the land, saith the Lord, two parts thereof shall be cut off, therein shall be cut off, and die. But the third part shall be left therein. So, two-thirds of the Jews in, it, well, at least we could say two-thirds of the Jews in that land, in all the land. So, this appears as though two-thirds of the Jews actually die. And it shall come to pass, then in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined. And this is what Jesus, the Lord, always typically does to his remnant. Okay? He brings them through some type of testing, through some type of refining process. It says it in the same in the Revelation 3 of the Laodicean church, a council of lead to buy of me, I saw that thou mayest see in gold tried in the fire, which is really the trial of our faith, which is more precious than gold. And again, we've done studies on that, but um, it says, I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried, and they shall call upon my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. They're finally going to get their eyes opened, in other words. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of just touch on that again. Going back to this report, it says, the Babylonian Talmud, we read, that rabbis can debate with God and actually win. Well, remember, this is the same Talmud that, that said the most blasphemous things about Jesus Christ you could ever imagine. And the Babylonian Talmud says in Baba Misa 59b, that a rabbi debates God and defeats him, and God admits the rabbi won the debate. Baba Misa 59b. That's what it says in the Babylonian Talmud. Why would you want anything to do with some religion that used that in its oral traditions? Well, I didn't know about it. Well, maybe you're being destroyed for lack of knowledge then, as the Bible talks about in Hosea 4.6. We're supposed to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but to rather reprove them. That's what we're doing today. And if you don't know that this is a unfruitful work of darkness, how do you even know to reprove it? How do you even know to get out? Lest Satan get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Do you realize the Hebrew Roots movement is one of Satan's devices, one of his best that he's used in order to, in regard to corrupting the end-time pseudo-Christianity? It's one of the things he's most using mightily. We are not supposed, um, lest Satan get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. 
What we're trying to do today is show you his devices so that you're not ignorant of him. Because if you are ignorant of them, he can get an advantage of you. If he couldn't, why does the Bible say that verse? You can still be destroyed for lack of knowledge. The Bible says, if it were possible, regarding this end time deception that we're moving into, they shall deceive the very elect. And it's only going to get worse. Now imagine we've got, it's as bad as it is right now, but then you've got all of this cataclysmic things that are in the future. World War III and who knows what else. Possible nuclear confrontation. And then you've got the alien angle and then you've got the ascended master angle. You've got all of this deception coming at you. We've only seen the, the very uh, start of it, really. So going further, who are the scribes whose words of oral law must be listened to and obeyed above all written law? Because isn't that what we just said? They, they're above all written law now. Quoting again from Haim Maccabee's Revolution in Judea is the following explanation of the terms Pharisee, Sadducee, scribes, and rabbis at the time of Christ. He's, he is quoted saying, These, the Pharisees, were the members of the body of comrades. Uh, Havram, as they call themselves. Their leaders were called wise men. These were the leaders of the Pharisees. And they were called wise men, which are also known as haha men. What a, what a word, haha men. Anyway. And then they were get, later given the title master or rabbi before their names. These leaders were also sometimes known as the scribes after the title Ezra and his followers in late biblical times. So in other words, another term for them were the scribes, these wise men, these, these masters. Pharisees, in fact, regarded Ezra as the founder of this movement and they regarded themselves as, their, as the heirs of the prophetic tradition. A lot of times these Old Testament are these, these Jewish religious leaders try to associate themselves with somebody. Like, they want to associate themselves with Moses. Well, we're, we're in the traditional line of Moses, so therefore we're, we're of God. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when you start to blaspheme and get away from the Word of God, Moses didn't do that. You're just kidding yourself. Going further, the term Pharisee was used at the time of Jesus and eventually became replaced completely with the term Rabbi. Uh, now and again, there's that book, there, there's that verse that says, you know, uh, where Jesus says, "Call no man rabbi," and it also says, "Call no man father, but your father in heaven." So that verse also, I, I know you heard me quote a lot, say, "Call no man father," but it also says, "Call no man rabbi," because there's one master, Jesus Christ, master, rabbi, basically interchangeable type of terms. So rabbi is also a forbidden term. Or reverend. You know? Holy and reverend is he. This is the only time it's used in the Bible is in regard to God himself. Not a man. I won't call somebody reverend. There's no way. I'm not going to do it. Sorry. It's, it's, uh, we're not supposed to do that. I've done a whole teaching on Reverend, if you want to know about that. It's only about 20 minutes long. Just key in Reverend in the keyword search box on the homepage on Sermon Audio. Uh, and again, if you need to find that, it's Scott A. Johnson uh, on Sermon Audio under Preachers. Going further, 
Let's see here. The term Pharisee was used at the time of Jesus and eventually became replaced completely with rabbi, who was often a lay teacher. Rabbi Maccabee explains the differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees at the time of Christ. He says, quote, The central religious distinction between the Pharisees and the Sadducees was on the question of oral law. The Pharisees held that in addition to the revealed word of God in Scripture, uh, the Old Testament, as Christians later called, uh, especially the first five books of Moses known as the Torah, or teaching, there was an oral tradition consisting of interpretations. And so in addition to the Old Testament, there was, an, uh, there was an oral tradition consisting of interpretations and enactments supplementing and developing the written law. That's what the Pharisees believed. They believed in this extra-biblical garbage that has spawned into what it is today, which is way worse than it ever was even in Jesus Christ's day. Now, Proverbs 36 says, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. We're not supposed to add to the words of God. Isn't that what we just talked about in in, um, Jeremiah 8, where the scribes were adding to things? The pen of the scribes made he it. They made their own perverted scriptures. So this is what the Pharisees believe, that there there was these other oral traditions consisting of interpretations and enactments and supplementing, which supplemented the written law. Proverbs 36 forbids it. Also, Revelation 22.18, which I've quoted before, not a, not a verse I really want to mess around with, but again, this is the fear of God. This is how the Bible essentially ends. Uh, Revelation 22.18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Well, if you're not in the book of life, you're going to hell. And out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. That's, I mean, and then it goes on to say, He that testifieth these things saith, Surely I am come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. That's how the Bible ends. So it's pretty important to God that you're not adding to or taking away from the Bible. Well, that's all this cult does. That's all they do. That's all the rabbis do. All of these oral traditions are purely adding to. They have no fear of God. I don't believe they do. So, you know, from that standpoint alone, these people should be terrified of doing what they're doing or getting, if you get into this movement, and you start reading all of these other extra biblical things, like the, I had some lady the other day email me, oh, well, we just we don't get into the Kabbalah or the Talmud. We just read the Mishnah, Mishnah Midrash some to help us with our interpretation of the Bible. You're adding to the Word of God because it's contradictory to the New Testament in many places. And we're going to see, we're going to look at some of these specifically and see 
how how it adds. We're going to give you a lot of specific examples of how it's actually being added to. <clears throat> so now, if we go further, the Sadducees, on the other hand, held that the whole of Judaism lay in the written law, which was a closed and final revelation with no need of interpretation or development. The Sadducees wanted to keep Judaism simple. They wanted to be centered around three great institutions. The scripture, the priesthood, and the temple. Well, it sounds to me like the Sadducees were trying to be a lot more biblically correct than the Pharisees. Now, I'm not saying that they were biblically correct, but I'm saying it sounds like they were more on the right track than the Pharisees, definitely. Um, But, we're going to talk about that too. Mr. Maccabee goes on to develop the pharisaical view of the Torah as a dynamic document, subject to new interpretations by themselves according to the oral law. See, this oral law came across, and it then all of a sudden, the Torah was subject to new interpretations. Well, again, I am the Lord. God says, I am the Lord. I change it not. You know, it's not... It's just not something that we want to, we want to get into. He, Mr. Maccabees, quoted saying, To the Pharisees, however, this policy in their own graphic phase, to put the Torah into a corner. And that's Where does that said? B. Caduzan 66a of the Talmud. They wanted to put the Torah into a corner. The Torah was to them a living thing which must continually encounter and grapple with new circumstances. The Bible says to seek ye the old paths, wherein is wisdom. Okay? We're not supposed to try to seek some new and great wonderful thing. And that's what the modern day church and a lot of these modern day cults are all about. Some new revelation. Some new doctrine. That's what a lot of people... The Bible talks about that. These people that were just seeking some new doctrine all the time. The Greeks, where it talks about that. So, the Torah, which is a living thing, which we must continually encounter and grapple with new circumstances, thus giving rise to new decisions which became part of the developing oral law. No, the Bible is set in stone. You know, it's, it's, it's set in stone. It's not, it's not something that's subject to new circumstances and new decisions that we have to have some new oral law to interpret. It's exactly the same thing Satan did in the Garden of Eden. He questioned the word of God. Yea, hath God said... He said that to Eve. Did God really say that? He didn't really say that. And then he tried to interpret that for Eve. And then Eve tried to correct him, Satan. And then he had her because she was having a dialogue with Satan himself. And then it went all downhill from there, essentially. It's no different today. This is no different. This is Satan essentially coming to you and saying to you, Yea, hath God said, insert your name. If you're embracing this, just insert your name and view Satan coming to you as a serpent saying, Yea, if God said. Then this quote ends by saying, In other words, the place of the Torah was not in heaven, but in the hands of men. Oh, man. It kind of contradicts Psalm 119, verse 89, where it says, Forever, O Lord, thy words are settled. Where? In heaven. The words of God are settled in heaven, and they changeth not. I am the Lord God, I changeth not. Neither does my word. But these devils, this 
Mr. Maccabee says, in other words, the place of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, was not in heaven, but in the hands of men. Oh, man, is this blasphemous. In the hands of men. Whew. And then he goes on to say, and the oral law was thus working human reality of the divine revelation. Now, I want to say that again. In other words, the place of the Torah was not in heaven. This is what this Maccabee guy is saying, but in the hands of men. Total blasphemy. Totally contradicting what the word of God says. Where does it say that? Uh, BB, these are abbreviations, BB Metz 59B from the Talmud. The Talmud says that. Remember, the Talmud is the highest book in Judaism. They've admitted that. It's above the Torah. It's more blasphemous against Jesus than any other book. Why would you want to have anything to do with this? You're putting yourself in grave danger regarding your standing with the Lord Jesus Christ. The place of the Torah was not in heaven, but in the hands of man. And the oral law, which is this, you know, the oral law, the Talmud, the Midrash, and all these other ones, thus was thus the working human reality of divine revelation. So now we've got to have a new divine revelation. The word of God isn't enough. We need to have other books in order to interpret the word of God. Now, I'm not making this stuff up. Every single thing I'm quoting from is referenced. Every single, It's right from these guys. I'm not making this up. These are what the Hebrew roots people, who are some of the highest ones, are teaching. Now, it's not... You know, the first time you go into your whatever... Hebrew Roots meeting, or whatever synagogue you, go, you want to attend, they're not going to come right out and say this. They would scare everybody away. But this is what they're saying. This, these are their words, not mine. So, in defense of the support of the Pharisees, Hayyim Maccabee adds this tribute to their preservation and multiplying of religious rituals and traditions. Quote, The Pharisees added new festivals... These new festivals were Hanukkah and Purim. Hanukkah, yeah, and Purim. They added these to the Jewish religious year. They added to the canon of Scripture. They added new doctrine to Judaism. They're admitting this. I mean, they're openly admitting this. We've got new festivals. We've got new canon to Scripture. In other words, canon, the canon of Scripture. They added new doctrine to Judaism. They added new rites to the temple worship. They don't even have a temple to go into. Not yet. Probably will pretty soon, though. I, I subscribe to uh, the, the Temple um, Institute's newsletter. I get it. And these are the, these, this is the organization absolutely 100% responsible for getting all of the implements that's going to go into the newly rebuilt temple together. They've already got the, the, the lamps, the golden lamp stand. They've already got all, a ton of these implements already made. They, they found out how to make seamless garments like they describe in the Bible. They found out how to do it. And who knows what else they've got that they may not even be saying. I don't know. Did you see the thing this week where they were supposedly going to unveil the Ark of the Covenant through the Catholic, through the Ethiopian Church in uh, Catholicism? Never happened, but 
anyway. I'm not saying that I think the Ark of the Covenant's in Ethiopia, but that's what they were saying. Nothing ever became of it. Anyway. So, this I am this Mr. Maccabee basically admits they added all the stuff to it. They added to new rites of temple worship as well as being continual creators of new prayers and ceremonies in the synagogue. Ever just adding, 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 more burdens and more burdens and more burdens. Where does it end? It never does. Satan is a cruel taskmaster. I mean, you know, you, you go into Hinduism, there's like a million gods there. Literally, you could worship. You know, take your pick. It's insane. And then it goes on to say, um, that was the end of that quote. Then this goes on to say, Indeed, the authority and respect attributed to rabbis is so great that it is taught within the Babylonian Talmud, section Higadah 27a, that no rabbi will go to hell. They're above hell just for being a rabbi. Well, I also know there's certain places in the Talmud that says it's permissible for a rabbi to have sex with little girls and little boys and things like that. I didn't quote that in this study, but it's in there. See, see my see my teaching on the Talmud. Just key in Talmud in the search box. I did a whole teaching on the Talmud. Now, obviously, it's it's gigantically voluminous, volume after volume after volume. But I did cover those verses. In this teaching, we've really only keyed on the ones where they went after Jesus Christ. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were both believers in the Word of God, um, in the Word given by God to man. But the Pharisees added, but really they weren't. I don't really agree with that statement because you can't believe both. You can, well, I believe it's the Word of God, but I also believe in these old old traditions. Well, but the old traditions run contrary to the Word of God, though. So, which one do you believe? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The Pharisees added extra-biblical oral teachings as the authority over the written word of God. They call the Sadducees heretics for not doing so. Those in the Hebrew Roots movement parallel the Pharisees in that they look to these extra-biblical works for their guidance and they wish to follow suit. They're the modern-day Pharisees. So if you're in the Hebrew Roots movement, just understand you're just basically a modern-day Pharisee or you're, or you're putting yourself under a modern-day Pharisee, and letting him guide you. And these were the ones that Jesus Christ railed against more than anyone. But Jesus also refuted the teachings of the Sadducees. Now, in Mark twelve eighteen, the Sadducees uh, are stated as, we're going to read Mark twelve twenty four, but they deny the resurrection. The, 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 the Sadducees had a lot of their own biblical hang-ups. And they denied the resurrection. Is how it is specifically referred to in Mark twelve eighteen, Mark twelve twenty four, which is you know six verses later. It says, "And Jesus answering unto them, the Sadducees, saying, He said, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God?" So I'm not endorsing the Sadducees either. Neither was Jesus Christ. Why would the leaders of the Hebrew Roots Movement, the Nazarene Movements, want us to study the Talmud? And so on. When the Talmud itself teaches that its precepts are only for the Jews. Did you know that? You don't have any right, if you're, not, or if you're a non-Jew, to be reading the Talmud. Its precepts are only for the Jews. You should have got the hint when I read all those, those quotes from the, in, the, in the first through the fourth teachings from the Talmud. It applied exclusively to the Jews and not the Gentiles. They're considered totally inferior. 
P.L.B. Drock states that, quote, the Talmud is not a law of righteousness for all mankind, but a meticulous code applying to the Jew alone. In the Talmud, as Drock points out, quote, the precepts of justice, of equity, of charity towards one's neighbor are not applicable within regard to the Christian. They're not applicable. So what are you reading it for? It's not, it doesn't even apply to you. But they constitute a crime in anyone who would act differently. The Talmud expressly forbids one to save a non-Jew from death. Don't you dare, if you're reading the Talmud, if you're a Jew, save a non-Jew from death. If he is dying, do not lift a finger to save him from death. Or to restore lost goods to a Christian. Or to him, or to have pity on him. A non-Jew, you are not, and this would include a Christian, talking about, and we're talking about the physical lineage of being a Jew. We're not talking about somebody that wants to convert to Judaism. We're talking about, are you, do you have, um, are you, you know, one of the twelve tribes, are you a physical Israelite descendant? The Talmud expressly forbids one to save a non-Jew, including a Christian, from death, or to restore lost goods to him, or to have pity on him. Now, I, I gave you many of these quotes in those teachings straight from the Talmud. And I quoted, the, you know, where they're at, too. That's pretty sick, isn't it? Talk about a cult of ex- exclusivity. You know, talk about feeling, wow, I'm superior to you. And then you have the Christian Zionists that feed into this. Oh, you're a Jew. I've heard of, of Jews like going to some of these Christian churches and they're fully Jewish. They're not Christians. And they go in there and they almost get worshipped and revered. Oh, you're one of the true, true ones. You're, you're, you're special because you're, you're a Jew and we're not, we're inferior to you. But the Bible says if you be Christ, you're then Abraham's seed and, and heirs according to the promise. We're, we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If ye be Christ, what if you're not? Well, then you're not. Well, but I'm a real Jew. Well, I know, but what do you believe? Do you believe Jesus that Christ died to pay your sin debt? Do you believe in the finished work of the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection and his shed blood to save your soul? Well, no. Well, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're not going to heaven just because of the blood that flows through your veins like they teach, like uh, John Hagee teaches, and a lot of the people in Christian Zionism teach. And I've done several teachings on John Hagee, if you want to reference those, or Christian Zionism. I've done some teachings. This is more. This is going to be a more complete expose than anything I've ever done, but I have done those specific things. And they believe in, in a... Uh, these Christians believe in a tenet called ethnic salvation, meaning because of their ethnicity... Because they're Jewish, they get to go to heaven. They get out of jail, uh, get out of jail free card pass, like they have a monopoly, and they get to go straight to heaven no matter what they do. They can reject Jesus Christ. It's okay. That's a damnable heresy. If you feed into that or, or you propose that as a Christian, you're condemning those Jews to hell because you're not even willing to tell them the truth. Going further, furthermore, the Talmudic view of the Gospels and those who own them, are as follows. In the Talmud, those who possess books called the Gospels are heretics. 
That's what the Talmud says if you own the Gospels. Well, if you own a full Bible with the New Testament, you have the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Does that sound familiar? The Talmud says those who possess those books are called heretics. And yet, these people in the Hebrew Roots movements and the Christian Zionism and all this... <laughs> they're, they're, going, they're, they're going by the Talmud. They're, they're following rabbis who are using the Talmud to guide them. And yet the Talmud says this. What scripture supports the idea that we must hold to Judaism's thought that the Gospels are sinful and those who believe them are as heretics? Where does it say that in the Bible? In the New Testament. Do you see how dangerous this is? I, you know, I hate to say this, we're still just scratching the surface. We've hardly gotten even warmed up yet. There's going to probably be a lot of people email me saying, okay, drop it, we get the point. I'm sorry, I'm not going to drop it. I'm going to see this whole thing through. This has been years in the making, this study. I'm going to address this from A to Z. I'm going to try. And as much as the Lord gives me the strength and grace to do it. And I may interject other studies in in between if we have some breaking current event. But I'm going to try to cover this whole issue because it's been a long time coming and I view this as the most insidious thing going on right now within Christianity. So, is this oral tradition committed to the writings of the Talmud to be embraced as truth and supporting what Christ himself taught? Or did Jesus say in Matthew 15, 6, Thus, you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. The tradition of men have made the words of God of none effect. That's another way it was put. The traditions of men have made the word of God of none effect. Isn't that what we're talking about? These are the these are the oral traditions, the oral writings. They've made the word of God of none effect. He said that to the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's the same today, and people are uh, Christians are flocking back into this movement that Jesus Christ railed against, and the apostles railed against. And we're going to get more into those specific Bible versions later, but probably not today. But Considering the great importance of the Talmud in Hebrew thought and Hebrew roots teachings, we need to understand exactly what the Talmud is and what it contains. Many involved in Judaism and Hebrew roots movement embrace the idea that the Talmud is divinely inspired and of benefit to Christianity. In the past, not surprisingly, some Jews have viewed the Talmud as an obstacle preventing reconciliation between the groups. Well, I can't imagine why. We know that many people, Jewish and non-Jewish, do not consider the New Testament to be of God. However, Avi Ben Mordecai redefines the Gospel as the Oral Torah. And he says, quote, when Paul says, I marvel that ye be so soon removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ unto another gospel, you need to see the definition of gospel in light of the Mishnah, or these oral traditions. The Mishnah of Mark 1.1. 1, 1. It's a direct connection to, to the Torah of Moses, both oral and written. Whoa! Talk about a uh, humdinger doozy there! I'm so glad, Mr. Rabbi Avi Ben Mordecai, that you straightened me out on this. What a unbelievably 
convoluted and false statement you just made there. I marvel that you be so sin removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Okay, he's got that part right. This is the one where it says, let him who preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. Which he's talking about himself. But you see, they've got to find some way of explaining these verses away. So, he's going to straighten us out and let us know what this really means. We need to see this particular verse, this another gospel verse, in light of Mark 1.1, 1, 1, and its direct connection to the Torah of Moses, both oral and written. Well, the Torah of Moses, what, what do you mean? The first five books of the Bible? There's a written, there's no, well, no, we have to have the oral as well. We have to have the oral traditions to interpret the Torah. This is blasphemy. It is another gospel. It is being brought, it is being overcome by this group and brought into bondage. It is a damnable heresy. This is why the Bible says that we need, to, we need to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. That's what we're doing today. We're earnestly contending for the faith. We're earnestly contending for the Word of God. Because these serpents and these vipers are trying their utmost to get you to doubt and to walk away from the Word of God. They're hirelings that have no true love for the sheep, a true shepherd's willing to die for the sheep, but a hireling has no true love for the sheep. He'll abandon you in a heartbeat. When times get rough, he's going to run out the door. You watch. You watch what's coming, particularly in America, the corporate pastors. We'll see, we'll see where they end up siding. I guarantee you most of them are going to run with their tail between their legs and serve master government and cite Romans 13 the whole way. Oh, it doesn't matter if the government's wicked and corrupt. I still, I got to do whatever it says. Oh, okay, yeah. Even though it's contradictory to the Word of God. You, you go ahead. Now, I've done a whole teaching on Romans 13. Just key in Romans, Romans or Romans 13 in the keyword search box on my homepage. If you think we're supposed to obey any other, any other little thing that, you know, the government tells us. If it contradicts the Word of God, you gotta, you're gonna have to choose whom this day you're gonna serve. Let's go further. It has been established that the oral traditions of the Pharisees, which were committed to the Talmud, take authority and precedence over the Old Testament as Judaism's holiest book. Here we get more confirmation of that very thing. Remember, these oral traditions were just that in the time of Jesus Christ. They were oral. They were passed down orally. They were finally committed to writing after Jesus Christ died. And that first committed commitment to writing was in the Talmud. See, the reason they called them oral is because they were oral. But then they became written. The oral traditions of the Pharisees were committed to the, to the writings of the Talmud that actually now take authority and precedence over the Old Testament as Judaism's holiest book. It's Judaism's most unholy book as far as I'm concerned. Other than the Kabbalah. Pure blasphemy. The Talmud contains material accumulated over several centuries. A complete collection consists of 63 books and 524 chapters. Now, this is one of the reasons it's so hard to go to, like, the Babylonian Talmud, for instance, and you've got all these volumes. It's not just one book. It's volumes. And you got to know where these little passages are, where they're blaspheming Jesus Christ and doing all this stuff. 63 books. 
524 chapters. The main elements of the Talmud are the Mishnah, the Gemara, both the Babylonian and the Palestinian, meaning the Babylonian Talmud, and then the Mish- Midrashim or the Midrash. Okay, so when we say the Midrash, that's part of the Talmud. When we say the Mishnah, that's part of the Talmud. When we say the Gemaria, that's part of the Talmud. So understand that, because I haven't made that clear. The Mishnah and the and Gemara composed the Jerusalem Talmud, which was revised in the 3rd to 5th century and later then renamed the Babylonian Talmud, the one commonly used today. Credit was given to Rabbi Judah, the prince, for compilation of the Mishnah around 200 AD. Rabbi Judah, the prince? Wow, that guy really had a big head. Anyway, uh... The Talmud itself confirms again the authority of the Talmud's teachings in Erubin 21b, Sosino edition, where it says, quote, My son, be more careful in the, observ- in the observance of the words of the scribes than in the words of the Torah of the Old Testament. That's what it says straight out of the Talmud. Be more careful in the observance. What does that mean? That means the observance of the words of the scribes of these oral traditions of the Talmud take precedence over the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. In Judaism on trial, Haim Maccabee quoted Rabbi Yehiel ben Joseph, who insists that it is indispensable to understanding Scripture. This rabbi says, Further, without the Talmud, we would not be able to understand the passages of the Bible. God has handed this authority to the sages and the tradition is is a necessity as well as scripture. The sages also made enactments of their own. Anyone who does not study the Talmud cannot understand scripture. There's another blasphemous lie from the pit of hell. Now I'm going to go ahead and end here. We're going to start uh, part 9 next.